Our scripture reading for today then is taken from uh, the very account where the commandments are given to us. Exodus chapter 20, we begin reading with verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would strengthen our faith through them. Amen. may be seated. Back at the time of the American Revolution, there was a philosopher by the name of Thomas Paine. I just want to read you one sentence from Thomas Paine. He said, If the impulses of conscience were clear, uniform, and irresistibly obeyed, man would need no other lawgiver. It's an interesting point, isn't it? If what's in our consciences was clearly understood always and clearly followed by us and actually guided our actions and directions, we wouldn't need laws, we wouldn't need government, we wouldn't need police in a court system, we wouldn't need keys for our cars and for our rooms and passwords for our computers. Because if we really uniformly followed what everyone inside of our own conscience knows to be right and wrong, if we really did that perfectly, we wouldn't need any, any laws at all. So good luck finding that society, wherever that is. God has written his moral law of right and wrong directly into people's hearts. He's impressed this right onto people's hearts. And so even my atheist neighbor, and yeah, I have an atheist neighbor, even my atheist neighbor knows he shouldn't steal from my garage. He knows uh, how to treat people. He knows right and wrong inside of his heart, even though he doesn't acknowledge that there is a God or that any of this came from God. We call this sometimes natural law. It's like a tiny little judge or courthouse inside of each human being's conscience, in their mind and in their heart the sense of right and wrong. It's kind of, if you will, like a spiritual report card between us and God. And and it shows up even even in cases where where you maybe wouldn't get caught by anybody according to a law or a rule. Your own conscience dictates to you and tells you that maybe something you could do that you'd never get caught for, that will never be found out, your own conscience tells you at that moment, wait a minute, this isn't right. Now, you might override that and suppress your conscience. You might convince yourself at that moment, it's okay for me to steal this thing or something. And yet, really, your conscience has that perfect record inside of it. Now, sometimes it gets kind of dull and we need to to upgrade it a little bit. But all of us have that built-in sense of right and wrong, kind of a spiritual report card right inside of us. Now, do we always listen to that? Do I always listen to this little courthouse inside of us or that judge? Uh, No. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we realize that it it does convict us. Uh, We don't need a a teacher or a pastor. We don't need a cop or a government official or somebody to, to show us and tell us when we did wrong. We just know inside. We just have it built right into us. You can see this with our first parents. Right after they fell into sin, immediately, the next verse after this all happens, what are they doing? They're hiding from God. 
They want to run and get away from him. They want to put distance between themselves and the authority that can punish them because they know they've done something wrong. He hasn't even said a word to them about it yet. And yet, their own consciences convict them and cause them to be afraid of God. They're kids. Cain rises up and kills his brother Abel. Even before any government exists, even before there's any law written down anywhere, even before the Ten Commandments are written, that won't happen for thousands of years, Cain, in his heart, knows, I deserve to die. If anybody finds out I killed my brother, I know I'm going to die. Natural law inside of him convicted him of his guilt and right away showed him what he deserved. He knew it. God didn't even have to speak to him yet. He was well aware of it even before that happened. Have you ever seen how, how little kids, uh, maybe you did this as a child, you can take your hand and put it into soft clay and then you bake it and you get an imprint of your hand. Some people hang them on their walls, that little mold of your hand. Use that as an image of how God has taken his moral law and impressed it down into your heart and my heart and into the heart of human beings. And based upon that, that's why we, when we hear God's law, like the hand coming into that, that match, when we hear God's law preached to us, our consciences wake up and say, yep, that's me. And the same thing happens to me as well, okay? And thank goodness that that law is inside of human beings because without it, we'd just be killing each other and we would just be slaughtering each other and raping and pillaging and stealing from everybody. There's a curb inside of humanity. We don't follow it perfectly, but without that curb of the moral law inside of us, we would just be destroying one another. And it also, it also is used by God when it comes to preaching his word. When that word of God touches your conscience, it pricks something. It makes you realize your guilt before God. This is what the great reformer said about this. Without this natural law in man's heart, it would be like preaching about sin to a donkey, horse, ox, or cow. In other words, in human beings, because of this, it resonates with us. The law of God, when it comes, when we hear it, it goes down into our conscience, it resonates inside of us. It matches what we know inside and what we are well aware about our own sin and wickedness. So the first commandment before us, God says, just starts out everything with a very simple statement. You shall have no other gods before me. So what does it mean to, to have a God? What does it mean to possess a God and to have a God? Well, it means that this is the one or the thing or whatever that you look to for your purpose in life, for your reason for living. The one that you look to where you to seek to find what's going to satisfy you and ultimately give you happiness in life or the life after. Many years ago when I was a young pastor, a fellow pastor of mine was talking to me that at a previous congregation, he, um, he had gone to visit his members the first year. He wanted to get out and get to know them. And he came to one of his members' houses and the guy took him into his dining room to show him something. And he had in his dining room set up an altar to Elvis Presley. He had an altar to Elvis Presley. He had a painting on the wall. He had a statue of him, candles that were burning. He had all of his records laid out. Elvis Presley. Think how silly and ridiculous <clears throat> that is. And <clears throat> this pastor said to me, it was, it was almost as if this was his God that he was worshiping. By the way, there is an actual cult of Elvis worshipers. 
check it out online, don't do it now, but it's, uh, it's bizarre. <laughs> there are people that believe that Elvis was the Messiah. Now, just think how, how strange that is. What, what a strange object to put on the altar of your life, right? Well, what about me? What about you? If you could make a statue out of the things that demand our love and attention and time, what would it look like? What would it look like to put that on a statue up here on the altar before God? Even as Christians, we are tempted to take Christ off of the altar and put things up there that we want and that demand our focus and our attention and the love of our hearts and the passion of our hearts. It might be money. It might be success. It might be pride. It might be people speaking really well of us. It might be having a fantastic academic career. It might be a great, successful financial career. It might be sexual pleasure. It might be some other pleasure. There's a lot of different things that we can make statues out of and mold them and put them on the altar of our hearts before God. And God comes along and says, you shall have no other gods before me. In the large catechism, it explains it like this. It's as if God is saying this to us. Whatever you lack of good things, expect it of me and look to me for it. And whenever you suffer misfortune and distress, creep and cling to me. I, yes, I will give you enough and help you out of every need. Only do not let your heart cleave to or rest in any other. If you study all of the rest of the nine commandments, they all flow out of this one. Every time you break any commandment, you ultimately break the first because your heart and mind is basically saying what God tells me in his word and what my own conscience knows is right, I don't want to listen to right now. I'm going to usurp that authority and rise above it with what I think and what I want. So ultimately, breaking any commandment breaks the first commandment. It's really harsh for us to have to face God's law. If you really look at it, you realize how thoroughly wicked and sinful we are. Our spiritual report cards are pretty miserable. This first week in Epiphany, Epiphany 1, is the week when the gospel reading is the boy Jesus in the temple, the 12-year-old Jesus in the temple, sitting among the teachers of the law, listening to God's word, and his parents have to come back and find him, and he says that great line to them, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? So what is that business that Jesus was it about? Was it just listening and learning from God's word? Certainly that was part of it. But it was more than that. That 12-year-old boy was sitting there in the temple keeping a perfect record before God, a perfect report card before God spiritually by loving him above all things perfectly. And he did that when he was 11 and when he was 10 and 9 and 8 and 7 and 6 all the way back inside of the womb of his mother. And he did it at age 13 all the way until he died, rose again, and ascended to heaven. His life was spotless, a perfect spiritual report card. And his father's business was this. He had to do that because you and I could not. And our own consciences know we can't. And so he had to keep that perfect record so that by faith he could transfer it to your account and give it to you. And when you believe in Christ as your Savior, when, you're, when God causes you to, to grab onto him in faith, you get to possess that perfect, holy, spotless, spiritual report card. 
Listen to how St. Paul said it about himself. He said, I do not have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. When you trust in that Savior, you are a perfect, spotless child of God, just like Jesus himself. So, look to the one who is on heaven's altar. Look at the one whom God has placed on the altar for our hearts to come to. And may all the golden calves of my life be melted down and dumped back into the river. My own heart would condemn me based upon my own conscience. But thank God, through Christ, he is greater than our hearts. He's greater than your heart. And he promises you life in heaven. Amen.